The March WASD saw USDA adjusting numbers around corn exports and soybean stocks, in general disappointing markets. But what will matter most as plant 2023 comes into view? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The March WASD dropped Wednesday, March 8th, largely meeting expectations as USDA refined numbers, specifically around corn exports and ending stocks. However, adjustments on the soybean and wheat front also shifted markets, while many watchers remained focused on the South American crop picture as today's main driver. DTN's lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us to dig into the latest world supply and demand numbers for major crops and livestock. Plus, he offers insight into how these figures align with the forward-looking numbers USDA published earlier this month during the Ag Outlook Forum. We'll dive into the inflation picture and how more interest rate hikes might impact ag markets, talk about DTN's weather outlook for planting, and learn more about what the Russia-Ukraine conflict means for world wheat markets one year later right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the March World Supply and Demand Estimates, Todd, let's start by talking a little bit about expectations going into this report. What were you expecting to see in terms of updates from USDA? I think the number one concern on everybody's mind, Sarah, was corn exports. They've been so poor for the U.S. this year. And uh, the question probably was not, is USDA going to lower the estimate? By by how much are they going to lower the estimate? And we did get that answered. And then the other thing, of course, this time of year, we're always interested in South American crop estimates. And uh, we saw some pretty deep cuts in Argentina's estimates there, as a lot of us expected. We'll get into the specifics of what the top line updates were, but talk a little bit about how the market has been reacting today as those expectations meet what USDA kind of announced coming into this report. Yeah, even before the report came out, we saw wheat prices selling off again. And then as the time got near when the report was about to be released, things quieted down a bit. But by the end of the session, we saw a lower corn price, a lower price in two of the three wheats, and just a small increase in soybeans. And of course, we'll talk about what might influence some of those. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about, let's start with corn. Give us kind of the update on what USDA is talking about as far as ending stocks and maybe a little bit of looking ahead to the expectations going forward. Sure. 
Well, the initial expectation was that probably we would see at least a 50 million bushel cut in the corn export estimate. And in fact, USDA chose to cut 75 million bushels off that estimate. So now it's 1.85 billion bushels. That's actually down 25% from a year ago. So we've taken quite a cut on the exports this year. And that, by the way, was the only adjustment to the balance sheet for the day. So it left ending stocks of corn at 1.34 billion bushels. That's up from 1.27 last month. It's a fairly modest increase for the month. And talk a little bit about where those expectations come from. What is happening with exports right now? What is this just pressure from the price point or are there other factors that are feeding into these changes? Yeah, really quite simply, it started last summer when Brazil had a record corn harvest and the record crop production they brought has really been dominating the export market this entire season as far as the U.S. is concerned. And it's only recently that we started getting hints of increased sales and some shipments going to China possibly. So things are starting to perk up now a little bit better. But uh, up until recently, basically Brazil just kind of boxed us out of the whole export market. Maybe a good moment to bringing in the conversation about expectations for Latin America weather impacting the crop down there. Is this kind of trends around exports something that we expect to shift as the weather situation changes and the crop focus kind of shifts hemispheres in the next couple of months? Yeah. In the case of corn, Brazil's second crop, which is their largest corn crop, is just being planted. It's about 70% planted right now. And it's slightly behind its normal schedule, but I'd say nothing too drastic to get panicked about just yet. But if Brazil gets cooperative weather again this year, they're on track for another new, even higher record harvest this summer. Brazil continues to expand its acres every year, not only soybeans, but that second corn crop also. And it's becoming increasingly tough for our exports to compete with that ongoing year after year expansion that we see in Brazilian acres. A real kind of existential threat out there of just that kind of almost infinite seeming ability to expand there and so much untapped potential. Whereas here in the U.S., we every corn acre is a negative soybean acre, a negative wheat acre. Brazil doesn't quite have that problem. Switching gears a little bit, I wonder if you could talk a bit about corn demand elsewhere. Ethanol, I think, the key. And then feed. What else is happening in the demand picture? Yes. With the tight supply still in the Western Corn Belt from last summer's hot, dry scenario, which limited the crop out West, our ethanol production has stayed consistently steady. Overall, we're up 1% this season compared to a year ago, but it's really been, I think, quite severely limited by the lack of corn in the West or the higher corn price. And overall, the demand for gasoline is down 5% since September. So that's kept a lid on the demand for ethanol as well. And we just aren't seeing the same returns for processing corn into ethanol and distiller grains and corn oil that we were seeing last fall. So the margins have been not so exciting for the ethanol plants this year, but the good news is that the production pace at least has held slightly higher than a year ago. And let's touch on corn basis before I maybe move on to soybeans. What is the basis looking like at this time? 
Yes. Anyone that's heard me talk about basis this year, it's been kind of a broken record that we've been the strongest in over 20 years ever since harvest time. Now that we've switched to doing our basis off of the May contracts, I had to make one slight alteration, and that is that now we're the second strongest basis that we've seen in 20 years. And the strongest basis right now is the 2013 season at this time, which were the months basically following the drought of 2012. So we're still in very high company. It still shows that we have very strong domestic demand for corn, even though export sales have been really tough to come by this year. On that note, let's switch our focus over to soybeans. Talk a little bit about what kind of the updates were for USDA on ending stocks production, the top line figures for soybeans. Sure. So the expectation coming into the report, most of us, myself included, thought USDA would probably just keep the ending stocks estimate at 225 million bushels, but they actually made a couple of changes, which brought that a little bit lower. The export estimate was the main change today, and that was increased by 25 million bushels. Now, I had said before, I thought 1.99 billion bushels of exports was too low considering the strong activity we've had, but I didn't expect USDA to change the estimate here today. So that was actually nice to see. I think there's good justification for that. The other a slight change was there was a 10 million bushel reduction in the crush demand for the season, which might be surprising to some because the crush incentives are still highly profitable, as, as profitable as they've ever been before 2022. And we have no problem with crush demand. I do wonder, though, if the tightness of soybean supplies in the country is keeping a lid on the crush activity because our crush pace is actually 1% below a year ago. And so the 10 million bushel reduction today in crush is not out of line, but actually I suspect it's because it's very difficult to come by the soybeans and they're not eager to pay up for them just yet. I wonder too, thinking about USDA also had in the last month, late mid-February, the Ag Outlook Forum in Washington, D.C. We talked to Chris Clayton about it a bit here on the podcast, but the USDA also announced their kind of forward-looking figures, their estimates for planted acres for, and production for 2023. I'm curious, just as you look at this updated WASD, as you think about the kind of information you've seen over the last couple of months, what was the impact of USDA's announcement at Outlook? And how, what is your perception of was USDA's estimates make sense at this point, off the mark? What do you think? Yeah. To anybody that had a pencil and that had already start, started putting together new crop possibilities, I don't think USDA's ag outlet should have been any surprise to anybody. But for anyone that just maybe hadn't thought of the topic or sat down to think about what the new crop season could look like, they might have been a little surprised about the higher ending stocks of corn and soybeans that USDA projected in that report. And I don't want to scare anybody, but actually I have higher ending stocks projected because we're actually looking for a good crop weather season in 2023. Our meteorology team shows that we're probably going to have fairly mild summer temperatures, not the extreme heat readings that we saw last year throughout much of the Midwest. And a lot of places, I'd say a broad coverage of places, are probably going to have normal precipitation amounts. So that's something we haven't seen is very broad participation of good weather for some time. And I'm, I'm 
concerned that with that good weather mix, we're easily going to be at 2 billion bushel carry on on corn again and and maybe a couple hundred bushels higher than that. So that's we've really seen since that Ag Outlook Forum, we've seen that December price just steadily trickle down. And I think it's largely due to a lot of people thinking more forward now. And as far as you are thinking about planted acres, those kind of figures here at the beginning of the season, in terms of the possibilities of what's on the table, what could possibly kind of pan out in those projections, I, I did you feel like they were in your sweet, in your zone of what's possible or did they anything leave you with questions? I don't have a big difference with USDA's estimated figures. My own are, I'm looking for 90 million planted acres of corn and 88 on soybeans. They're at 91 on corn and I think 87 and a half on their soybeans. So there's not a big disagreement there. My concern is that we've had two spring planting seasons before this one where we had just fantastically high prices. And if anybody had any land available to plant, they had all the incentive in the world to get out there. And even with those great incentives, it's hard to get more than 180 million acres of both corn and soybeans in the same year. So that seems to be the constraint of what we're working with. So for that reason, I'm a little reluctant to go above 90 on corn and we'll just have to see how it turns out. Circling back to the specific soybean discussion, I'm curious about the soybean basis at the moment. How are things looking as you zoom in on that? Yeah, when we were comparing the cash prices to March, we saw there was a trend of weakening in the soybean basis and it was getting back more to normal levels. But now that we're comparing with the May contract, we're seeing the soybean basis actually in very strong territory again. We're at 34 cents below the May contract as of Tuesday night. And that is the strongest basis we've seen since 2013. And again, that was the months following the drought of 2012. So much like corn, that soybean basis is still in very strong demand type of territory. And in the case of soybeans, unlike corn, not only do we have good domestic demand, we also have very strong exports also tugging at demand. I can't imagine the demand situation being any better or more bullish for soybeans than it is this year. Switching gears to check in on the wheat picture. Give us kind of the update from this report for what is happening in wheat. Yeah, the U.S. estimates were real easy because they just kept them all the same as what we saw in February. So we still have 568 million bushels of ending stocks estimated for this year. That's the lowest ending stock total in 15 years. Or if we look at the ending stocks to use ratio, that's the lowest ratio in nine years. So no matter how you look at it, these are historically on the tighter end of the wheat supplies we've had. And yet it continues to baffle and puzzle me how prices can be under such bearish pressure trading at or below their costs of production when supplies are this tight. And I think we can squabble about world wheat supplies probably being higher than USDA estimates, but I think the U.S estimate is going to turn out to be pretty close to accurate. And we'll get really our next best test on March 31 when we have the grain stocks report update. Talk to us too. You mentioned the kind of bearish pressure on prices. What is the wheat basis looking like at the moment? It's actually roughly average. We're at a quirk in the calendar where 
there was some volatility in the five-year range. It, it's a little kind of a strange point for comparison right now, but overall, we're just above the, where the five-year average is for the basis in HRWE. Nothing out of the extraordinary or too extreme one way or the other. And I think so much of the wheat situation over the last year has been driven by the situation in Ukraine. We had the dubious anniversary of the start of that conflict between this episode and our last WASD episode in February. And I'm curious whether, as you keep an eye on what's happening there, updates from the region, and just as it starts to sink in. I remember this time last year talking about the possibility of like a six-week conflict and here we are 12 months later, still going strong. How are you thinking about that going forward? If this is becoming a status quo situation, what does that mean for wheat stocks and how we think about wheat, global wheat markets going forward? Yes, lots of good questions in there. I would say overall, as I look back to a year ago, I'm quite astonished at how well Ukraine did to produce the crops that they did during the war situation and am quite astonished that they've been able to move as much out of the country as they have. And of course, the Black Sea Grain Initiative turned out to be a remarkable success in that regard. And I have to say, I just, I never thought that thing would get off the ground, the, the reputation that Putin had and who they were dealing with. But it's actually turned out to be a nice hamstring on Putin himself because Russia's in a bind where they need the Black Sea Grain Initiative as much as Ukraine does. And for that reason, I think they'll go ahead and extend it in March. It's this next coming season where I really have a lot of, I think, legitimate concerns about Ukraine's ability to produce and keep going under the stress of war that they're in. Fuel supplies are tight or difficult to come by. Fertilizers difficult to come by. It's difficult for them to get financing for another crop year. It's just tough no matter where you look at it. And when they do raise the crop, it's become much more expensive just to transport it to port. So even though they are shipping out through the Black Sea, it's still very expensive and difficult to get things there. Now, we know that fighting has been extremely intense in eastern Ukraine for several months now. And in fact, last fall, it really interrupted the winter wheat planting. So their winter wheat crop, the acreage for that winter wheat crop is probably going to be down at least 40% this year for the upcoming 2023 season when that'll be harvested. Just every year that goes by, it's just getting tougher and tougher on farmers to keep doing the things that they do best. Also a livestock update in this WASDE report. Tell yeah. us what kind of USDA's updates were. The Outlook also provided a kind of updated longer term view maybe from USDA on what the department sees as the future over the next 12 months of the livestock sector. But talk about what this report had in store for the livestock industry. Yes. Before I mention the report, I just need to briefly point out that the context of the cattle market right now for cash cattle is just red hot. Our beef production is down about four and a half percent from a year ago so far. So the cattle, it's just obvious to everybody. The numbers aren't there. And where the numbers are there, the weights are down. So it's much more difficult to produce beef this year in the quantities that we're used to. Now, understanding that, today's report didn't have big changes, to be honest. But for the year ahead, there was a slight increase in the estimate of beef production. But overall, USDA is still expecting beef production to be down 6% in 2020. They slightly increased the, the estimate of beef production in the second quarter. 
But the real notable thing that they did is they played catch up on a lot of their prices. So first quarter steer price that average that they have is 161. That's up $3 from last month's estimate. Second quarter, they're looking for 163. That's up $4 from last month's estimate. And again, they're not really going out on a limb. They're just kind of catching up with where the trade has brought them this far. I want to broaden out the conversation a bit and talk a little bit about kind of the other big issues that are on the horizon. I think maybe the relevant place to start is with kind of inflation discussion. I think there was a sense maybe for a few months that maybe inflation was flattening out and the Fed was thinking about putting a stop to the rate hikes or cooling on that process. It seems maybe that's not the case anymore. Inflation is not going down as much as we want. And the Jerome Powell is talking again about potentially raising rates again. Talk about how you're paying attention to the inflation story and the broader economy and how you think that might play into ag markets. Sure. My take all along has been that the Fed can only do so much when it comes to inflation because they can't increase oil production. And that's where the higher the source of the higher prices are really coming from initially. And it stems from COVID and it stems from the financial debacle that hit the whole oil industry when oil prices went to minus $40 a barrel that year. So the industry is just starting to come out of that. Our domestic production is just starting to inch up ever so slightly. We're up to 12.3 million barrels a day now. The, before COVID, we were at 13 million barrels a day. So we still have a gap to fill as far as oil production goes in that regard. Unfortunately, it's very difficult in this environment to encourage long-term investment in the oil patch when everybody wants to go green and get tax credits for going green in a different direction. So we're at a very awkward stage in our development and there was an oil conference this week, and the CEO of ConocoPhillips made the case basically that we're headed back toward an era like the 70s and 80s, where you here in the U.S. were going to be more dependent on foreign oil production because we just aren't able to keep the expansion and the increase in production going that we have in the past. And a lot of the best shale areas are starting to pan and fizzle out. We're in a very difficult spot. And of course, Russia's oil production is going to be questionable in the year ahead. And a lot of Western companies have pulled out their help from Russia over the past year due to the war situation. So this, the whole inflation thing, if it is predicated on oil prices, as I contend a lot of it is, we're still going to be dealing with that as the Fed continues to push rates higher. Fortunately, our economy has withstood all this very well, and our jobs have expanded, and we continue to show expansion in the economy. But at some point, those interest rates will get to a painful level, and then we're going to have the double whammy of a slower economy, but still higher prices of everything because we're not addressing the root cause. So it's a tough situation. It's not easy, and the Fed can't do it by itself. The next topic to touch on is the export picture. We talked about the challenges with corn exports. I'm curious, as you have watched the balloon situation with China and the much more serious topic of just declining or questionably declining relations between the U.S. and China and what that might mean. I'm curious how you pay attention to the global trade picture and how the U.S. is interacting with key export countries like China or others. Yeah, I think my my biggest concern is that Xi Jinping 
continues to consolidate power around him. And not only is he appearing to take more control of the economy in into the central government's hands, but he also seems to be a little more aggressive militarily-wise all the time. And they seem always to be a little touchier about the things that they're offended by from the U.S. It just seems every year or season that goes by, it, it's getting they're getting to be a tougher and tougher administration to deal with. And I'm just concerned about their tendency to acquire and use more power internally. There was a fellow, Xi Jinping, that brought China to the modern world, and he did it largely by opening up their economy, and he actually made it much more capitalistic inside, and he gave people the opportunity to own their own private property and farm that ground, and that's how they really increased their food production to help themselves out. This leader is doing the opposite thing. He's contracting all those opportunities and he's becoming more hostile to the outside world that his country has become very dependent on. They're very dependent on Europe and U.S. for their economic well-being. And it's in their interest to try to maintain some good relations back and forth. But China seems to be increasingly difficult to deal with. And that definitely concerns me moving forward. And then maybe zooming in a little bit closer to the farm. We've talked in the past, especially in the fall and at the beginning of the winter, about fertilizer prices and the potential for experiencing some sort of energy crisis over the winter. I'm curious, as we continue to hear farmers paying very high prices for inputs, how you're keeping an eye on those markets and whether you think that might start playing into prices in agricultural markets. The good news is is our prices have come down roughly 25 to 33% from their peak last spring. And I know that's still not cheap enough compared to what we would normally expect for fertilizer prices. But it is a nice improvement. And we've seen much better improvement in things like logistical problems that stem from COVID. The port congestions have cleared up. Trade is happening. Goods are moving And the cost of shipping grain overseas has come down almost 40% from last May a year ago. So those types of knotty logistical problems seem to be finally normalizing. That's helping the fertilizer situation. It's also helpful to the fertilizer situation that we've seen a big, huge increase in natural gas supplies over the winter, something I and I don't think anyone else expected. So now we have natural gas prices trading under $3 per million BTUs, and that makes fertilizer production much easier and more profitable moving forward. So that's been a big, I think, good relief. And in that regard, at least in the first half of this year, I think a lot of those input costs are going to end up being down modestly from where they were a year ago. And of course, every little bit helps in the whole profitability scenario for agriculture. But I think we are going to see a little bit cheaper fuel, chemical, and fertilizer costs in the first half of the year. When you get back to fall, I'm concerned fuel prices might notch up by fall harvest time again, but we'll have to see how that goes. 
Last couple of questions here. You mentioned the long-term forecast DTN is looking at for into the summer, but I'm curious as you look maybe at the shorter term, as you think about planting, are you optimistic? Do you think that there's potential for disruption that might start to play into prices in the next couple of months? Only mildly. And it's because our meteorologist, John Branick, tells us that the forecast for the month of April looks pretty cool, especially in the northern Midwest. For people that want to get out and plant early, they might be held off. But he agrees that by the time we get to probably late April or the month of May, we should have good warm temperatures and basically a good outlook for planting. So we don't expect any major disruption in the planting season this year. Knock on wood, maybe with that. And the last question is just, You mentioned the March 31st grain report, but any other kind of key pieces of information you're going to be keeping an eye on between now and the April WASDE? Those grain stocks are really important. Of course, I'm watching that weekly energy inventories every week. We have had a nice seasonal build in crude oil. We'll just have to see if it can last through the summer. But they'll always have the focus on supplies because that's where the real world is and everything else is a distraction. You can read Todd's full analysis and up to the minute reporting on all things ag markets at DTNPF.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember... The future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month, depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.